Are you ready to change your life, your mind, and change the way you see your world? Well, this is the Minds Gym Podcast with myself, Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover. And here we go. This is Brandon Bickmore, your turbo lover, uh, here with another uh, podcast. And uh, by the way, don't forget, I'm just starting a YouTube channel since we're doing uh, the podcast on Zoom now, since the podcast booth is currently closed. Um, but uh, I'm here to share some amazing stories with some amazing people. Uh, for those of you that don't know, I suffered some from like severe crippling anxiety uh, five years ago. And uh, uh, actually 10 years ago, it lasted for four or five years and I finally found a way out. And that's why I started this uh, podcast. And hopefully by sharing my story and other human beings stories and tapping into their minds, uh, you guys can all benefit from my experience and also uh, my guests uh, experience. And uh, we'll kind of figure out how others are finding happiness on this planet. And especially during this current crazy experience with uh, this COVID virus that's going around the planet. So I want to thank you guys for your support. Um, please subscribe. And um, I really uh, will rely on your support and your feedback. And uh, please subscribe to the, uh, uh, to the YouTube channel too. that will be firing up hopefully this week or next week and follow it. And uh, I think you'll be uh, impressed instead of just audio. We're now going to have audio and video with this, uh, technology that uh, I'm getting familiar with since uh, we're all at home uh, quarantining ourselves and uh, trying to find a, uh, uh, I guess, an, a way to understand this event that we're currently dealing with. So that being said, I've got an amazing guest on today. I've been bugging this guy or at least his PR people for about three or four months, ran into this guy about a year ago doing a bike race in uh, St. George, or actually Salt Lake City to Las Vegas. And uh, this guy was so happy, he was smiling, his attitude was just radiating and, and I couldn't wait to have a conversation with him after um, the race, which we'll discuss. He actually left right as I got to the finish line with my buddy, uh, Mark Smith, that was doing the Saints to Center race last year. So anyways, this, Young man's name is Chris Burkhard. He's uh, an incredible, talented photographer. He's a artist. He's a cyclist. He is a daredevil, I would say. Uh, he's got over 2 million uh, Instagram followers. He's a writer, an author, filmmaker. And I'll put this in here. He's a master of suffering. He's mastered how to suffer on a bicycle. And... Uh, uh, this this guy, I can tell from all the homework I've done, he's an incredible human being. So welcome, Chris. How are you today, brother? Hey, it's it's an honor to be here. And um, I'm just super grateful to, to be able to spend this time during, you know, quarantine, so to say, to, to talk about really meaningful stuff to me. You know, I mean, everything that you chatted about, you know, this idea that we can use storytelling and um, 
and connectivity to humans to like heal ourselves and to really relate to other people. I mean, this is what the world needs more of, you know, this is, this is the special stuff in my mind. So I'm grateful to chat and um, I'm grateful to get out of the house too. I'm, I'm here at my office and uh, it was, you know, it's been about a, a week since I've been here. So this is awesome. <laughs> Good for you. It's nice to get out of the house a little bit, right? And I'm sure you're getting out plenty. I know you're an active guy. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm trying to not take any unnecessary risks. You know, it's hard because this is like the, you know, for me, it's just painful. Yosemite's so close, national parks and, you know, big, big multi-day rides or places I want to go that are out of cell service. And I've kind of just been limiting things to places I feel really comfortable and safe and, and working out a lot at home. And yeah, I mean, you know, you know how that goes. It's a hard thing. Uh, but I mean, the goal is that you do that so that, others don't have to suffer. And I think that's a part of kind of what uh, the world needs right now is, is some empathy in terms of what people are going through. So, yeah. Yeah, for sure. So uh, are you cycling much right now? You got to be cycling. Yeah. Like, it's know, okay I, to get out and ride your bike, right? Yeah, I keep, I keep a level of sort of base fitness, so to say, that just allows me to feel, you know, strong enough, I guess you could say, like, I'm, I'm not really training for anything big, but there's a couple big rides in the back of my mind. I, I've been trying to plan out a route to do the first east to west traverse of Iceland, like the furthest east to the furthest west um, of the country through the interior, which like gives you basically access to like some of the most remote and beautiful parts of the country. Um, that might happen this summer, you know, pending, you know, this whole thing. And, um, and then, you know, there's a couple other really fun little projects, but I, you know, the racing thing is not really my forte. I just really enjoy riding long distances because it gives me the opportunity to be in the places I love for longer. I mean, that's really what it boils down to. Like all I care about is this idea of moving meditation and being on a, a bike to me is like the, the most, you know, it's the most easy way to like really enjoy your surroundings while still feeling your heart rate elevated and by doing so you become more visceral like things you really feel things you know and that's that's a really special it's a really special thing for us i think yeah i'm curious to to uh know how do you stay uh uh this guy's a crazy cyclist by the way he's done an 800 mile iceland race he did the 550 miles saints to sinners i don't know what else you've done but how do you stay physically well? Like I've got a bad hamstring. I get a bad knee. Sometimes my back hurts. How do you keep your body sharp or don't you? Or do you just ride through the pain? Um, you know what I've noticed with, with at least a lot of endurance sports? It's typically when you feel like, oh man, there's a, there's a, a pain like in my knee. I, there's a pain in my arm. There's a pain in my neck. When you're riding a 15, 20, 50 hour ride, those things usually go away. They work themselves out, you know? Sometimes just the way you're pedaling, your pedal stroke can, can make a huge difference. Sometimes it's something small and you can adjust that or change that. Um, sometimes a small, quick stretch will, will help reset things. Um, in terms of like lasting actual injuries, those are just things that I think you have to really take the time to work through and find the sport for you that doesn't irritate it. And for me, cycling is that thing. I tore my hamstring or tore my ACL skiing, backcountry skiing, uh, heli skiing a couple of years ago in Canada. And part of my rehab was cycling. And I fell in love with it again. Then I used to cycle before I had kids, but you know, riding your bike takes a long time. 
And so running wasn't really an option. I used to run a little bit and, and climb a lot. So, but that during that time, it was like, oh man, I'm going to ride my bike. And I fell in love and it was great rehab. And that's kind of the beauty is like, I also don't really care about some specific sport. Like to me, the idea of incorporating sport or athleticism into my life is, is more of a, of a mental thing than anything else. Um, I enjoy whatever I do, like whether it's ultra, ultra running or hiking, you know, like I, I, I like to just go for long periods of time and enjoy that real, like intimate time outside. Cycling is just one of the modalities that I think I've explored. Um, and yeah, I've had a lot of injuries, my fair share of injuries from my work. And a big part of, I think, why the, the job that I have as a photographer and a commercial photographer and a, an action sports photographer, so to say, requires me to sort of keep up in some way with athletes. And so I'm having to keep a base level of fitness to do so. And that's like the only way you can really stay competitive in this field is like, if somebody's like, Hey, we're going to do an all night push and go summit something. And you know, like you have to be able to have that energy and not be holding the group back with an injury. So when I train, I'm, I'm not training to hurt myself or, or to, um, to be reckless. I'm really being conscious of that. Um, and that's the beauty is you can do exercise for a really long time without pushing the limits of what your body's willing to handle. You just got to find that tempo and stay within that tempo. And it, and ego comes into that. Like all of these rides, everything you do, if you push it too hard, or if you're with a group and you're like, I want to go as fast as they're going, but you're riding 10 times longer, like learning when to pull back and say no and tuning into what your body needs is huge. Yeah. Cool. Good for you. So what about these COVID uh, times? What are you finding and what are you finding any solace and relaxing and, and slowing down? I'm, I'm, I'm guessing and assuming that you're a goer. Uh, you're a pretty accomplished human being. Yeah. What are you, what are you finding? I know you're, you're a fan of like, uh, I'm sure the world and the earth, you seem to be, uh, you know, and probably really involved in, you know, maybe a conservationist. What are you finding the benefits are um, right now with this crazy experience that we're all for, for myself personally or for the earth or for, for both? How about yeah. for you and I mean, for the earth? Obviously the earth is having a great reset. It's going to be more beautiful than ever. You know, there's this analogy and I'm not, I'm not really a big fan of like, Oh, well I'm doing this and this is what I'm finding. And I'm, I'm finding all this inner peace. So much of life kind of relates to these analogies and these metaphors and, you know, when you're, when you work in the falconry field, oftentimes before you set a bird free to hunt, you, you put a hood on it. And the hood a lot of times is to like narrow its vision or cut off its vision altogether so that it can be keened. And keening is a process of making sure it's hunger, appetite, smell, all these things are more, you're more aware of it. And I think in many ways, this is that process for many of us. Like if you've ever wanted to gain a perspective of what you care about and what you love, well, this quarantine experience is, is one of those things. It's a fast, a, a, a fast from the things that we really enjoy. So I'm excited once this is over, obviously it'll take time and obviously it'll be a slow you know, uh, approach. I'm excited to see what people come up with because they've had a chance to really think about it. That's what I've been spending my time doing, considering the jobs I want to do, the jobs I want to say no to, because by saying no, you're saying yes to the things you really want. 
considering, you know, where I need to spend my time to earn money, but also to pursue passion projects. You know, if you, if you look at the, you know, in many ways it's, it's easier because now instead of having the whole year to sort of plan out, there's only a couple months left in the year after all this, and you really have to make those count. So how much time are you going to dedicate to you and how much time are you going to dedicate to work or the things that you need to do? And I think um, for me, at least that's been the greatest perspective is like, I, I have a routine. That's just how I am. I don't think everybody needs a routine, but I, I still get a lot of exercise usually two hours a day. I try to move in some way that usually changes every other day from yoga to weightlifting to cycling to um, a little bit of running. And uh, the biggest thing is that when I do have this time to consider, I'm trying to, I'm trying to really hone in on like, man, I had a hundred things on my plate that I was supposed to do. And now 50 of those are gone. But out of those remaining 50, how many do I really want to do? And the reality is throughout the year, we can only do so many projects that really empower our careers and empower us to be the best versions of ourselves and, and also help further our careers. You know, I, I do, I say yes to way too many things. I'm a, I'm a yes man and in many ways a workaholic. And so having this time to gain perspective, which sounds so cliche, is really helpful for me. And it doesn't mean that I have to be less movement oriented or less energetic. I just, I'm just taking time to, to really take stock of, um, you know, out of these 10 things I want to do in the rest of the year, which ones are important, which ones are going to help my family, help my business and help me personally. And not just things I said yes to because of ego or because I needed to make a quick buck that wasn't really worthwhile. Cool. Um, I want to thank you for saying yes to me today. Well, time gave me the opportunity, you know, right now I was supposed to be in Chile um, on a trip, you know, and a lot of that stuff has gotten canceled. So being able to spend a lot of time doing podcasts is, I mean, this is my, one of my favorite things to do. I love taking time to have conversations. Yeah, I, I really appreciate it. And I know what you're saying. I learned uh, uh, very well that uh, about yeses and nos and how important they are over the last four or five years. And you really got to honor yourself. And I love exactly what you said, like a no to, to, to me is, a, is definitely a yes to you, depending right. on the timing, right? And, and no, at the end of the day, if you're not taking care of number one, you can't be this successful entrepreneur that's traveling around the world. You got to make sure and, and, uh, and do some self-care. And you really have to realize that you, you don't have much to offer others if you don't feel full yourself. Like if your cup isn't full, whatever that means to you your cup of joy, energy, what have you, like that is, that is truly the greatest gift. I mean, that, that goes for a marriage, that goes for a partnership, that goes for a business. You know, I feel more gratitude for everything when I'm able to take time to really understand my needs. Yeah, absolutely. It's important. I think the world misses out on that sometimes, you know, it's all about doing for others and serving others, but it's really hard to do that well if you're not serving self. A good point. You know, so a um, couple quick questions. So uh, growing up, you grew up in a uh, single parent family. Your, your mom was 17 years old when she birthed you. Uh, I can relate to that story. My mom had my oldest brother when she was 17. Oh, wow. uh, I, I have four brothers. Um, and then three of my older brothers or my three older brothers all pretty much had children that 18 and 19 so they've all 
I had to learn to really, you know, buckle down and, and take care of kids wow. early in their lives. So uh, I'm sure your mother's incredible. I know you've mentioned that that's something that's, that's pretty dear to you and you don't like discussing it often, but could you just share just a brief second how amazing your mother is and what she's meant to you? Yeah, you know, it's a funny one because it, it kind of wasn't one of those things where like that just manifest itself. Like I, I wasn't just aware of that fully. I had to do some like recollecting. I mean, so much of, I think my purpose, my drive, my mission has been a matter of, of digesting who I am, what I want, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And when I really started to think about what made me happy, I was at a point in my career where I realized that collecting paycheck and collecting stamps in my passport wasn't fulfilling enough to keep going. Right. It wasn't, at a certain point that loses its novelty and you're just like, I need something else. And I realized what really brought me joy was bringing these stories, these images back to my mom who had sacrificed so much for me and telling her about these experiences because she never traveled anywhere and she's never been anywhere internationally. And as this you know, young kid who really cut his teeth on traveling the world and being educated in that way, I felt just indebted to her. And I feel like that's been a huge driving force. And, um, and, it, and it took a while for me to like mentally unpack the fact that my sort of go-getter attitude or my like um, my just desire to make something of myself, whatever you want to call that, is because I felt so indebted to her sacrifices as a young, single adult raising a child like myself who has a lot of energy in tumultuous times. Like um, I watched my mom work multiple jobs and, you know, and put food on the table and, and, and just provide an amazing childhood when she didn't have to. And, and that is why I think she is my hero. Yeah, that's cool. It's probably uh, kind of made you the, the man you are today, right? Kind of watching her and watching her grind and you're like, damn. I would absolutely say so. I mean, I, I just never felt like there was any excuse to be anything other than the very best version of who I could be. Yeah. And um, do you have any siblings? Um, I have th two stepbrothers and one half brother. Okay. My mom eventually got married when I was like 13 and, um, and had my stepdad came into the picture and, you know, big, you know, his, who's and ours family. So. Cool. And you get along well with everybody. Uh, yeah. Yeah. For the most part, we, just, we all have different interests, you know, like we aren't all like hanging around a lot of each other a lot, but um, we keep in touch enough and, and know kind of what everybody's, what everybody's up to, but definitely like me and my parents are super close and uh, having kids kind of reconnects you with a lot of those um, siblings. Yeah, for sure. So I got a question for you. So speaking of your wife and kids, um, how do they handle your busy nonstop traveling lifestyle and also what do you think your lifestyle mm -hmm. is teaching your kids uh, that's a good point you know this is a great question because at one point my wife and i were talking like there were so many moments where i would leave on a trip and i'd be like go to my son who's seven now and i'd be like oh i'm so sorry i have to leave you know dad hates leaving blah blah, blah. and my wife you know she's so insightful she was like you know we should really not teach our children that we, we, that our jobs are this negative thing. Like you love your job. And, and I realized like, you know, you're right. And this advice has been really important to understand that like, yeah, 
I, I do love my job. And so nowadays, I think one of, the, one of the things I try to educate my kids is like, hey, when I'm leaving, I'm so sorry I have to go. I hate leaving you, but I love what I do and I'm excited to come and share this with you. And I can't wait for you to find something that you care about as much as I do that takes you away from the home because you don't want them to associate this job or career as this negative thing that takes dad away from the home and he's always unhappy. So why would I do that? You know? So trying to understand the relationship that work is a positive thing and, uh, and let the kids understand what it brings to the table for all of us is really helpful. Um, I think my wife and I, we, we did like a three hour podcast where we talked about all of the tips and tricks and advice and things uh, of how we kind of deal together with having kids and managing a relationship. But at the core of it is just communication and stubbornness in the sense that if you're willing to fight to keep a relationship going, that's really what you need. You, you need a sense of stubbornness that you're not going to give up. Doesn't matter what it takes, if it's counseling, if it's understanding and having better communication tools, that's a big part of it for me is just having better tools and, and a therapist can provide that sometimes. Also just realizing that like our voices are so unique and hearing the way we communicate is so much better over the phone than via text. So when I'm on an expedition somewhere, I take the time to call, make sure I have a sat phone. I try to share with my kids what I'm doing while I'm there so that when I get home, they're not like, where have you been? Because if they ask that, I've already lost, right? The goal should be to be sharing photos and videos and stories with them while you're there. So when you get back, there's something to connect on, something to talk about, right? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, I have a couple thoughts on that too, but um, I think it's amazing what you're doing. And, and I've learned over the last five years that teaching by example and living your life, that's how you teach your kids. Yeah. Like you want them to follow in your footsteps, be fearless, go out and about, challenge yourself. You know what I mean? Like you do. So I think you're teaching your kids how to be an absolutely incredible, fearless human being by going out and traveling around the world because that's not the typical thing that uh parents do right stay home take care of your kids no go out flourish take care of you and then watch your kids blossom because they're watching this happy human being and all they know how to do is model your behavior right and, and, and it wouldn't and wouldn't you want that for your kids to totally and the funny thing too is like there are skill sets that my kids have that i i don't possess like my kids are unafraid of animals. My son will just pick up a snake and it's amazing. And I, I want to, I try to like celebrate their, our differences. It's not all about them being who I am or loving what I love, but me understanding like I don't necessarily want them to be a photographer. I want them to have their thing so that they can show me and share with me something that I feel like I'm learning because there's no better gift than to be somebody who has something, who feels like they have something to offer. And as a child, you often feel like, you know, your dad is learning, you're learning from your dad and he's teaching you, but, but how cool is it to like, feel like you can give them something back? I mean, that, that's really a, a, as a child, that's kind of what you hope and dream of. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. So anyways, I, I think you're doing a great job of parenting and I've never seen you parent, but just you by being you and living, you know, I'd almost say, don't be sorry when you leave. Yeah, you're showing your kids how happy you are and how successful you are on on mastering your craft. Right. There's no sorry there. And that's really like, what it, yeah, you're absolutely right. That's you what know, cuz sorry brings guilt and and why would you be guilty about enjoying life? Totally. You're spot on.
That's right. So just consider that next time you go. Hey, kids, yeah. I'm rolling. I'm out of here. I'm headed to Chile. I love the heck out of you guys. And dad's going to go have fun for two or three weeks. And I hope you do this when you get to be my agent. And, you know, yeah. and unfortunate. that's really the mindset. I think, I think natively we, we feel a sense of wanting to apologize. But, but really, there's no apology needed, you know. Shouldn't, shouldn't feel bad about doing something you love. And, and that's really what it, I think that's sage wisdom you're, you're offering for sure. Yeah. Yeah. I want to know how you got so much wisdom at such a young age. You're a young bug, dude. I didn't figure all this stuff out for till I was 43. I'm 34. How are you so sharp? Um, yeah, I just, I just turned 34 last month. It was a very, it was literally, I, I celebrated my birthday before they shut down all public spaces here. Uh, so I was lucky, but uh, no, I mean, I, honestly, I've, I've really learned the hard way, learned by doing. And I think that life for me never offered, you know, the typical, like go to college, have that experience and never went to college, never had a nine to five job. So, so much of my education was out in the world and I got married at a young age and that taught me a lot. And that's, that's, that's really prepared me for bigger conversations, arguments, you know, things where I really had to just learn and understand um, how to be there for somebody else. And I think that if anything, what I've learned is that storytelling, again, is, is at the root of everything I want to do. And you can be a better storyteller by learning to listen, by being more empathetic, and by honing in on what experiences mean to you. And by sharing that, you really open up a vulnerable part of yourself and the only way to access that part of yourself is by, by being willing to, to learn and adopt and to like a new, a new version of yourself. So that, that's, I think that's a big part of it. You know, I, I, I love and I crave learning. Um, not going to school, you know, just because I didn't do that doesn't mean that education wasn't always at the forefront of my thoughts. Yeah. Well said, bro. Well said. Um, are you big into books? I love books. I usually don't have as much time to read them as I wish, but I have a huge library of books and my goal is to like eventually find that time to read all of them. I have a couple that I usually end up going back to because they're so good, but yeah, books are everything. And, and, you know, books on topics that have nothing to do with myself or my career. Um, that's the stuff that really fascinates me because I, I find that nowadays I pull more inspiration from various sources than I ever would just photography, right? When I was young, it was all photography, photography. And now it's like, I want to learn about art and journalism and architecture and, and typography and stuff like that. Yeah. And that all plays into your craft, right? Oh, oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Um, on your travels, you're, you're, you're a, a world renowned traveler. I got a question for you. Do you ever, um, look without seeing um i would say that um everybody who's ever stepped off a plane somewhere has done that and and i think what that really boils down to um that excerpt from my children's book uh is is really um the concept that you know sometimes we go to places and like for example the first time i went to iceland I was just so enamored by everything. You know, you're driving 60 miles an hour and you're shooting photographs out the window, you know, just spraying and praying, hoping you get something interesting. And by day six, you're like driving past the most beautiful thing you've ever seen. And you're like, Oh, I've already shot that. I don't care. Um, 
So there's an element to traveling that's kind of like this dopamine hit. It's this exciting thing. It's this, you're just looking around, you're, you're kind of like overwhelmed by it all. And I think a big part of me has realized that the process of traveling is as much a drug as it is an incredible gift. And I think if we treat it as such, um, in the sense that like to slow down and to really take in what's happening around us and not try to document every moment, but try to be more selective, more choosy, more focused on what you're hoping to accomplish as a photographer. You know, every, everybody translates these experiences different ways. To me, that's really what it means to kind of look without seeing. Like you're experiencing everything, but you're also experiencing nothing. And it's taken me times. And the funny thing is, because you referenced the children's book, the point of the children's book is that the boy in the children's book or the girl, whatever, has to go back along the trail. They have to do it again. And that's, it's so funny because people don't like that. They don't like the idea that to really experience something, you might have to do it twice. You might have to appreciate it again. And all the places I've ever been to, anywhere that I've ever created images that I was really proud of, it's been because I went multiple times. It's been because I've set down roots there and relationships and I have things I care about. I've been to Iceland 41 times. My first trip was whatever, you know, I experienced stuff, but it wasn't until I really set down roots there in some way and, and found environmental initiatives I cared about and people that I, I felt like I created images that meant something more. Um, and, and I think that's a big part of it. The places that we experience, like the more we give to them, the more they give to us. Yeah. Um, I want to share this. <laughs> That's rad. So this is Chris's book that he wrote, children's book. And yeah, one of his comments in there is, do you ever ask the little boy, the earth asks the little boy, do you ever uh, look without seeing? And that's, I'm a huge fan of that, about slowing down, you know, and actually, you know, what are you seeing? And, and asking questions, what you can see when you ask questions is, is absolutely incredible. And I loved how you say too, what are you seeing? Maybe nothing. Expand on that a little bit. Well, I Cause, think- Because I'm with you there, I hear yeah, you. In some ways there's this expectation. Again, like we, we travel very differently now. You know, in the, in the age of social media, um, it's a different scenario. You know, you, you, you compare your experience to others, inevitably. You're gonna go somewhere and and you're gonna have a list of places you wanna see or things you wanna do. And sometimes, sadly, we kind of judge the success of that experience based upon like, oh, did we go to see that? Did we see this? Did we go to that waterfall? Did we? And if you don't go to those places, you feel like you didn't get full value from your trip. And that's such a bummer thing because the unpredictability of going and traveling is what makes it so joyous, right? And being able to, to relish in that unpredictability. Um, and if you set out with the goal of having everything be predictable, what's the point? Like, you know exactly what kind of experience you're gonna have. You're gonna have this experience, right? So for me, I think it's important to leave some things to be up in the air, leave some things to the unknown. Like the unknown is the, is the joy, that's where everything good happens. And I think uh, when it comes to, to traveling, that's, a, that's just a big component of, of what I love. And I think when you go to places with the intent of being taught something new, you sort of have to leave some things up to that. You, know, you have to learn to go with the flow. You have to learn to go down, you know, dirt roads, uh, empty dirt roads, not just because it sounds cool, but because that's what we used to do to find places and find experiences. And, 
just because your experience is different doesn't mean it's any less or any better. You can still find ways to be creative and, and stuff. So, yeah. So how did you get here on this journey? Like how, how did you get to be you? Like you've got a couple million, not that social status is everything, but how, how, how did you get here and, and who do you credit? Um, I mean, are you specifically talking about like my, my, my career success or more like, more like social media success wise? I would just say probably happiness, peace, your social status. Like, like, I mean, you're a pretty young guy. How, how, how did you, you get know, here? I mean, I mean, I'll, I'll give you the, it's, it's a long story cause I've been doing this for 14 years. Um, but Social media particularly was the byproduct of me working for magazines. I worked for magazines for eight, nine years for Surfer Magazine on staff and Water Magazine and Surfline and whatnot. And so I was going on these trips for the magazine, traveling all over, planning these expeditions. And I'd come home and there'd be, you know, thousands of epic images and crazy stories. And only so many of them could go into the magazine because there's only so many pages, right? And so I would come home and I'd be like, man, there's, I want to share these things. I want to talk about these things. And I felt kind of stifled creatively. Like I wasn't getting out there, everything. So I, I was an early adopter to a blog, you know, I used Blogspot, and then that evolved to Facebook and then that evolved to Instagram eventually. Um, so that was always a counterpart, a byproduct of um, storytelling in print. And ultimately the goal was always to kind of, you know, and, and I think, to further that my career in general, when I started traveling or started taking pictures was going out, shooting photographs, coming back to my mom, sharing it with her, sharing it with my friends um, in high school, like going and shooting photos, going up North surfing and then go doing slideshows on the weekend at a friend's house, gathering people together, telling stories. Um, I love that idea of storytelling and community gathering. And so nowadays, yeah, it's different than, being with my family around the kitchen table, but it's the same thing. Like I'm able to communicate with millions and millions of people and the message is still the same. It's all about telling stories and relating that experience and why it was important to you. Because again, you share what you fear losing most usually, or something that was significant to you in terms of like my own, I guess, commercial success like that's still my the, the part of my business that that is the business you know social media is just a fun counterpart um, I'm a commercial photographer and shoot a lot of tech and automotive and brands like that and the clothing catalogs um, but being able to sort of expand my vision outside of photography has been the greatest gift to me learning that my voice um, or me as a teacher or me as an author books and films and things like that that spreads your sort of vision and and again a children's book the one you held up that in and of itself that was a great tool because it got my work in front of an audience of people who had never who had never been able to see it you know young moms dads families um and it's just another it's another facet of being able to tell a similar story which is that nature is important and you need to get out into nature to find answers to certain questions i think a a big portion of who we are as people is, is out there in those experiences. So um, that's, I think, expanding my, my, my storytelling uh, regime. It sounds so simple, but to those aspects is what was able to get me my TED Talk and, and amongst other things and the ability to go out and, and to be a tool or an advocate um, for what I love 
and you know in a lot of different ways and that's really carried me um, financially and, and successfully into a different realm of my career yeah it's cool I'm in I'm impressed bro you've done well it's really cool let's talk a little bit about um, that Saints to Sinners uh, bike race for a minute yeah so my buddy was riding it I helped uh, and put together some money and sponsored all that and as uh as we saw you guys three or four hours into the race because i followed all of you guys for 36 hours 32 hours whatever it may be Gnarly. i was just so impressed with with not only you but your buddies and the kindness and the smiles on their faces and as we first saw you or maybe it was maybe i mentioned this about 12 or 16 hours into the race um how happy you looked and how relaxed you look and then I was watching my buddy Mark Smith and he was you know just grinding away wasn't smiling was suffering quite a bit about halfway through and I could just see his pain yeah and I could see your peace and your relaxation and then I talked to your buddies and they're like oh yeah he just did an 800 mile race in Iceland three months ago yeah all sorts of different weather and I'm like dude how 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 do you do it for one but also how have you as i said earlier mastered the ability to suffer or work through physical pain that's a good question and i would say that uh such a huge part of we talked about this before the podcast of a cycling experience is being able to kind of i guess you could say understand why you're there like why are you doing this and ultimately for me I, you know i just from spending time in the mountains and and climbing and and growing up kind of um being outside I've, I've just tried to take the perspective that like all of this is elective suffering okay there's nobody out there who's holding a gun to your head forcing you to do this and and man if you if you're feeling that pressure from sponsor obligations or whatever like that is a absolute shame you know i I literally drove out, you know, the night before the race with, with two friends um, in my little sprinter van. We were totally unprepared to sag, and I just was like, hey, I'm going to do this race. I've always wanted to do it. It's for a great cause. And I had raced it the year before um, as a part of the group. And, and um, I was just dead set on, on having it be my experience. And to be honest, the perspective for me is always that I would do that race if it was unsupported. You know, I don't, I don't need a support van of people hollering at me and, and, and the joy has to come from an, an internal perspective. And obviously having raced in Iceland around the country and doing that um, solo uh, 80, 850 mile race in 52 hours was a good warm up because I had trained a ton and I, had, I, had, I knew where my limit was and I was nowhere near my limit. Like I, I finished that ice, that Saints to Sinners race. And I was like, man, it would suck to do 300 more miles right now. <laughs> uh, but the, the, the thing I think about is like, I, I just, it, it all comes back to that same mentality of the fact that like in this current pandemic, we are subject to our homes. We're subject to, to this tiny environment when the world used to be so big how much gratitude are we going to have after this for, for what we have access to? I mean, me for one is going to like be so stoked, like just to get outside. And, and, and I think that's the mentality I, I just tried to take. Like I've, I've had crazy experiences happen on trips, you know, being stuck in Russian jail cells and, and 
you know, stuck in cabins and stuck on the sides of mountains and whatnot and to where all I've wanted in the world was to just have the freedom of being home or being in a place I love. So I'm out there in the middle of the Utah desert in the Utah mountains riding my bike. I mean, give me a break. This is like first world problems, you know, um, raising money for, um, I'm blanking on the, on the initiative right now. <laughs> all right. Uh, raising money and just able to enjoy that. And I feel like, honestly, I, I, I would be ashamed of myself if I was doing it with a frown or if I was doing it, you know, snapping at my team or, or, you know, cursing my way up this hill. It's like, dude, this is, this is like life at its finest. I mean, it's awesome. And I just, I feel like we, we truly, when we tell ourselves something is enjoyable and we tell ourselves something is making us happy, like we feel that. And I, and I just try to feel that. Like when I'm sweaty and sticky and it's 115 degrees and I'm, you know, riding through the Valley of Fire outside of Vegas, all I think about is I'm like, man, I would give anything, I would have given anything for this when it was, you know, below freezing and, and storming on the road in Iceland, I was shivering cold. Like I just try to always think about those perspectives and and really bring that back to like, why am I doing this? And when you think about that and you realize like, I'm doing this because I love it. And that's just, I, that to me, that's the, what I need really. Yeah. Yeah. It's amazing, dude. I watched your movie last night. The uh, oh, Arctic, yeah. what's the name? The Arctic. Under an Arctic sky. Yeah. That was amazing, bro. The struggle and what you guys went through and sitting in that cabin in that 25 year storm that hit and you guys all survived and just made the best of it i mean you guys there was parts of that it looked like a couple people were suffering but uh, it was definitely could have been a lot worse than it was and and again being in those situations you just gain a real joy and a perspective for the the importance of life and people and relationships and stuff like that yeah i'm not sure back to that saints to sinners race and maybe your icing race you said you could do it unsupported um, I mean, how do you, how do you condition your body to go without sleep and exert yourself and still, you know, like your buddies were saying, you don't eat much, you don't drink much when you ride. Like, how do you keep going? Well, this is, this is a great question. And I, I, I'm happy to get into any of like the actual training sort of logistics. You know, I mean, I think a lot of people on this podcast are probably, who listen are probably into you know, the physicalities of, of, of exercise and, and endurance sports and whatnot. So um, it's pretty straightforward. Like when I was training for Iceland, for example, um, it, again, it was an 850 mile ride around the country. It was supported, um, meaning that you had a support vehicle who would give you your water and all that stuff. Um, all of the training rides I did were unsupported. So basically what I, what I really honed in on after reading tons of literature and talking to people is that it's not so much about the amount of miles you do overall. It's about the amount of long rides you do. Now, that being said, why? Because you don't know. You'll never know. If you ride 50 miles every day, every single day for six months, you'll never know what it feels like to hit 100 miles. You'll never know what it feels like to hit 200 miles, to hit 300 miles, to hit 375 miles, which was my longest ride prior to that. Um, now, 
you won't know what it's like, what, what your stomach's going to do, what your saddle's going to do, what your clothing is going to feel like. So it's important to, to really flush out those things first and foremost. Um, that was pretty simple. I would do one long ride a week. I would do a base mile, base miles of about two and a half hours of riding a day. Um, and I would focus the, that one ride a week to be like 200, 300, 200. One week I did three 200 mile rides, whatever. Um, that, was, that was the mileage. Now, that was the easy part. I think that the hard part, and this is just my personal perspective, and this is, the, this is really where my own training came into it. Like I, I kind of gave myself an assignment was I wanted to be mentally so much stronger than I, than I ever thought I could. And how do you do that? Well, you have to go out and ride your bike when you're feeling indigestion or when it's pissing rain outside or when it's as windy as it can be. You have to point your nose into a headwind and ride. You have to go when it's cold because I live in sunny California, you know, like to train for the perilous weather that is Iceland when it's 40 knots sideways wind and your bike is leaning like this or when it's, you know, again, like freezing cold temperature. Like I had to in some way be ready for that. So mentally I would go prepare. And what I would do is I'd stay up all day. I'd get on my bike at midnight. I'd ride for a whole nother day and then I would go to bed. So training your body to know what does it feel like going through a night with no sleep? What does it feel like riding through, um, like, like, so that when that happens, when you're on saints to sinners, when you're on, um, wow, cyclothon race or whatever you, you aren't like, all of a sudden being like, oh my gosh, this is what it feels like to get no sleep. So that mental training, that mental toughness, you need to create a, a, a you know, some kind of like a, um, almost like a scab there, you know, that's just been like beaten down and, and, and you've really worn out, like, I guess your, your receptors to pain and, and that threshold, because again, it's hard riding malnourished. It's hard riding without food or water. I would, I would do rides where it would be very, very minimal food or very, very minimal water. Um, ride feeling sick and just every, everything I could to prepare my mind. So that is really, I think, where the real training comes in, right? When it's hard and it's not fun and you're like, hey, I'm still going to go through this and do it. And you're realizing I've accepted that and this is my decision and no one's forcing me. Yeah, well, so preparation, it sounds like, is key. Yeah, you know, the preparation, yeah, preparation. And then the reality is, you know, there's always going to be an element of the unknown. And when you thrust yourself into that unknown space, like how rad is it when you hit 48 hours and you're still riding and you're like, I've never done this before. This is epic. Like, I, I think there's something so cool about that feeling, you know? I don't know how you do it, bro. I've been, uh, there's a loaded your race here in Utah. Have you heard of that one? Yeah, it looks, it looks sweet. The 200 mile, like lots yeah. of, yeah, I, I was on. I was, I was signed up to do it last year, but had to back out because of work and it looks awesome. It look, you know, a lot of people I think do it in teams or, or so I don't know how it works. Yeah. You do it solo or teams. Uh, I've done it solo once. My brothers have done it a few times. We're signing up again today. This signups end tomorrow. Oh, rad. So if you're into it, I think it's this September. Um, if you're around, you're available. You should, you should do it. You'd kill it. That seems It'd fun. Be, It'd be a breeze for you, bro. Like a walk in the park. Yeah, I mean, I, I, it's funny. I've kind of, I've kind of regimented myself to be like, I'm not going to sign up. I don't. And this sounds weird, but I don't really want to sign up for anything less than 200 miles, only because doing it on my own 
sometimes feels more fun, I guess you could say. Like I, I get excited about like building routes. Like I, I was looking online yesterday and I want to do this route from Lone Pine in the Eastern Sierras up and over Tuolumne to Yosemite to Glacier Point. And that's like 216 miles with like 18,000 feet of climbing. And there's something about like the solo journey. Yeah. And because sometimes when, when there's a lot of people on the road, it's, it's kind of like, it's like watching a movie and riding a bike. You know, you're entertained as opposed to like digging deep internally and kind of like figuring out new parts of yourself. I think that that, that is a part of why I like to do that. Like I'm, I'm not really punishing myself, but I'm, but I am learning new parts of who I am. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just so you know, loadage is 203 actually is what it ends up on there your you garment. So <laughs> you can still sign up, bro. It's over 200. <laughs> they just say 200. So we talked about the physical. Let's get into the mind a little bit because that's why I call this podcast the Minds uh, Gym Podcast. Yeah. How, you know, how do we exercise the mind? How do we face our daily challenges, that anxiety, depression that shows up for all us human beings in different uh, levels? Um, have you ever had any like major severe anxiety, depression show up in your 34 years of being on this planet where you were like, really bummed out down and out and you were you know questioning you know what's what's this world all about what am i what am i doing here have you ever ever experienced that i mean i have for sure my wife has as well like getting married at 21 her her dad passed away pretty pretty soon prior to our marriage like just three months and so she had a lot of anxiety and i had to help deal with that um and I've dealt my, with my own anxiety. I mean, I, I have anxiety right now. There's sleepless nights going through this pandemic. My office is closed. Everybody's working remotely. I've never done this before. As a young and small business owner, this is a really scary time. And I think that, again, there's so much to be said about finding that mental toughness. And I've, what I've realized, if there's one like trick or tool, is that now isn't the time to prepare for something like this, right? Like you don't weather, you don't weather, you don't learn how to weather the storm by throwing yourself into the biggest storm of all time. Um, it's much like that movie in Iceland, you know, where we, we, we were able to kind of make our way through that massive 25 year storm. It was a, it was a collective um, mindset of group experience that really brought us to that place and, and allowed us to feel safe there. Now, over the years, I've had to open and close the doors to my business and hire and fire and expand and grow and, and get smaller. So I think in many ways, I've kind of recession-proofed my business in some capacity and, and weathered this storm prior. And I think that when it comes to relating that to like sort of my own mind, it's I, I, I get anxiety. I feel the stress. Sometimes it manifests in weird ways. I remember making a film in the past where I was so stressed, I was pulling my hair out, like clumps of my hair were were leaving my head because I was so stressed and overwhelmed. And I've just had to really fall back upon like the, the really core and important values of my life, but moral compass, right? Why do I do what I do? I do what I do to, to feed my family, making them proud is the, is the most important thing. Realizing that I can't please everybody. I can't make everyone proud is, um, or I'm not going to please everybody. Yvonne Chouinard said it best, if you're not pissing off 50% of people, you're not doing your job, which I've always in some way loved. And I think that understanding that 
all of this that has been created because of, of a fruitful career is, doesn't define you as a person. And so realizing that although it would be a devastating to have to lose some of it, it wouldn't, it, it wouldn't, and it shouldn't um, change your values, who you are, what you care about as an artist. And there is still an amazing way to create and put joy out into the world. And if I was still like stuck just at home sharing photos with my mom and with my family, would that be worth it? Would that be enough? Yeah, it would. And I think that, letting go of some of the ego has been a really huge help in letting go of some of the anxiety. Um, I think there is a, there's an ego that's associated with who I was as a person, the story we tell ourselves of like my status that is really hard to sort of take a step backwards. Right. And um, I think if anything, that moral compass for me, my, my religion plays a role in that, you know, the relationship with my wife, my family, um, having a perspective of, of what's important in life is really important and understanding that um, the gift that you can give to others, the gift of inspiration, although the quality of what that was at one point might change because of the situation we're in, doesn't mean that it can't be just as powerful. Like the joy that I get from seeing people push outside of their comfort zone and even like get on the bike and be like, I rode my first century because I was inspired by you. Like sick. That's awesome. Like I need to realize it's just as important for me to get outside of my comfort zone as it is for me to talk about other people doing it. And my comfort zone has changed over the years. Nowadays it might not be riding the bike for days on end. It might not be taking a picture. It could be public speaking. It could be, um, it, it could be a plethora of other things that sometimes we don't want to admit to ourselves. And so um, human growth is at the core of everything. If this can be an opportunity for growth, then to me, it will be beneficial. If it's an opportunity for us to simply reflect on what was and what isn't anymore, then it can be very detrimental. And I would just urge people to have that, take that time to reflect upon what your mission statement is, what your goal is, and how you can get that across while being in this sort of limited capacity that we're in right now. Yeah. Do you have any like tools that you use when you're feeling anxious? I know you, I think yeah. you mentioned yoga. You're a fan of yoga, but what yeah. tools do you use oh. when you're struggling, when you're anxious, when you're having future thoughts? Yoga. What do you do to settle yourself down? Yeah. I, 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 years ago I got my yoga teacher certification just to further my own practice. And that's a huge part of my life when I need, to get back into my own head and not be so outside of myself. So, so bringing it back into like the core, like, cause the, the purpose of anxiety, the point of it is that you're, you're feeling um, the effect of all these things that are usually like out here and they're not actually affecting you. You're, you're allowing them to affect you or it's, I mean, this is a poor, poor description, but a lot of times it's sort of the, you're worrying about the effect something can have on you that either hasn't happened or won't happen or is way in the future. Right? So if you're feeling anxiety about how your business is going to be in six months, like you're not there right now, why let it affect you? And that can affect you in different ways, you know, with cortisone and, and you know, your, you know, food receptors and the way, you know, your diet and your weight, so many sleep. Um, for me, sleep is something that has been suffering. I'm a poor sleeper. So, Yoga is huge. Um, I love reading and rereading the book um, Essentialism by Greg McKeown. It's a book that really dives in and asks the tough questions like what is essential to you so you can make 
decisions that are based upon what you want and what you need for your life. Um, having a confidant, you know, whether it's your spouse, your loved one, a friend, someone to talk to. Um, and then this is kind of something that I've just always really enjoyed this mindset of like, if you want to find yourself, lose yourself in the service of others. So right now I could spend this hour stressing and worrying about this next thing and you know, whatever, or I could talk to you and maybe this podcast could go to somebody else and benefit them. And this to me is, is an anxiety cleanser. The opportunity to give something of myself, whether it be time, whether it be money, whether it be energy, whether it be skill set to someone else, it invigorates you and makes you feel grat gratitude for what you have or what you have had. And to me, that's really like, I think what it comes down to, like service is everything. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing to sit here and have a conversation with you if you're experiencing anxiety or whatever. You're so present right now in the conversation, you can't have any future thoughts. So right. you're here now. Which, which exercise is a part of that. Like you ride a bike, you're not like, oh man, which email do I need to ride? And you're like doing a technical descent or a, a heart pounding climb. You're climbing, you're not like, you know, reaching up for the next hole being like, oh man, I should have written that email differently. You know, like athleticism and or exercise forces you into the present. And for somebody like me who lives very much in the future or in the past, and many others can relate, um, I need that. I need that in my life, big time. Yeah. yeah. Um, speaking of anxiety, why, uh, I have some thoughts on that, but why do you believe you don't sleep well? Um, my mind races. I have a, I have a monkey brain. Um, I, I'm always, at night, I'm like thinking, oh man, I got to write this email, write this email, blah, blah, blah. Sometimes I'm on my phone too late, you know, and I'm putting that blue light into my body. You know, when I have those nights where I'm smuggled up to my wife and we're like watching something and, and then we go to bed, it's usually great. Or, um, or those nights where I'm like doing some yoga and, and then I go straight to bed. Usually I sleep really good. It's just some, I think in like a lot of people I've talked to have kind of had their first anxiety dreams where they kind of wake up in a panic and then they can't go back to bed. And a part of that I think is just the fact that every day is sort of the same, you know, and this is a funny thing because remember how I talked about the unknown, right? I think that the unknown, although people think that, Oh man, that, that creates anxiety. That gives me stress. There's also comfort there. There's comfort in knowing that like there's something outside of your control and with this current situation we're in, people are waking up and it's the same thing every day. It's the same food every day. It's the same people every day. To me, that is anxiety inducing, right? The fact that like my kids are playing with the same thing and doing, you know, like they need, um, they need variety. I think variety is key and essential to our human spirit. Yeah. Um, the control, I want to hit you with that too. I have all sorts of thoughts for you and the anxiety, but uh, let's talk about the sleeping first. So um, I coach people one-on-one. -on -one. Uh, I'm a huge fan of, By of Byron Katie. Have you heard of Byron Katie? I have heard them, but no, I'm not familiar. Okay. okay. This is the best tool on the planet. Okay. I've sat with so many human beings in the last five years that don't sleep at night mm -hmm. and haven't slept in five or 10 years that don't sleep well. And they call me the next morning. Sir Brandon, I slept all night and that's the best sleep I've had in 10 years. Because the only thing that's keeping you up is your mind. But you can calm the mind if you question what it's thinking and believing. The mind slows down. Mm -hmm. It's like, are you, 
Are you seeing what you're looking at? And so when the mind gets going so fast, the only way to slow it down is to question how it's perceiving and processing information. And your ego goes so fast, so it'll, it'll wrap you up tighter than a drum. And it gets going 100 miles an hour, and they call it the monkey mind, okay? I used to have that mind. I don't anymore. It's gone. The reason being is I questioned how I process information and how I see the world. And so now I've questioned my ego enough that it's slowed down and it doesn't have that grip on me any longer. Mm -hmm. I'm like free. Wow. You can have the exact same thing with a 90 minute conversation about filling out this worksheet. And then you have a facilitator ask you what you're thinking and believing. And right. dude, you will be shocked. I love that. man. That's you'll awesome. go to bed the, that night and you'll be like, I can't even believe that I've done this for 34 years, that yeah. I've been dealing with this monkey mind. Because right. that monkey mind, you can quiet it within 60 minutes. It's just like, it's almost like you hit it, it's like you ran into a brick wall and it no longer knows how to, to own you. Right. So anyways, that's just a yeah. thought. And it does feel at times, you know, like it can have a grip or like a real control on you, like a physical one, which is scary, super scary, you know? Yeah, yeah. And that control thing too, have you ever, have you ever considered this too? Like, do you think you can control anything? I mean, definitely. I don't feel like anything is really within our control. Um, personally, uh, from, from more of a spiritual sense, then that's my own belief system. But I, I think that um, in the short term, we can have the illusion of control. And we're, we're kind of given that um, we give that to ourselves or people grant it to us. But in, I, don't, I don't, I don't believe in the long term that we can. No. Yeah. Yeah. You'd be amazed. Cause I'm, you know, I'm a spiritual guy too. I was raised LDS like awesome. you are. Yeah. Um, um, no longer really practice, but learned a ton of beliefs that work for me. And then some that don't. Right. But I I've found in the last few years that like, we don't control anything because the thoughts come in and we follow them. Or yeah. we don't. And where does that thought come from? Did you create the thought or did the thought just show up? Hard to know. You know, I don't, I don't think I've ever followed the thought to think about, you know, I think I could pinpoint it back to like something, but I never really trace it back to its origin. Yeah. Just, just and here again, I'm just asking you questions here. I said, I was going to bend your mind a little mm -hmm. for the podcast, like just something you consider. Cause when you're laying there in bed, the thoughts are just flowing through you know, three, four, 500 every two or three or four or five minutes. Right. Imagine if you could just let the thoughts flow through or if you could get the thoughts to slow down, like how come I used to have four or 500 thoughts at night when I go to bed and now they're gone? You what, know what I mean? What's interesting about that is that sometimes for me to go to sleep, I usually have to tell myself, okay, think about this one thought and try to fix it and solve it. And by, by doing so, I'm like, that's kind of, I'm like, okay, I'm going to think about this and then I fall asleep because I'm, I'm at least focusing on one thing um, as opposed to like the hundred of them. And sometimes, you know, they, they get so fast. Like I need to write these down because I'm going to forget or, Oh crap, I need to do that tomorrow. Um, and I, it's funny because in practicing and studying yoga, a big part of the meditation uh, course that I did was learning how to just let thoughts, not, not attach, not grab them, let them move. Um, and obviously breathing up and down the spine and, and focusing on those things. But that, that's a hard, it's easier said than done for me. Yeah. 
So you'll notice, so this work that Byron Katie created, mm -hmm. that's exactly what she teaches is notice the thoughts, but instead of attaching to them and putting a belief system on them, you just let them throw, flow through because you have 50, 60, 70,000 thoughts a day and they all mean nothing until you put a, a meaning on them or you put a perception on them. Then that makes them real. But um, thoughts are only thoughts. Right. It's all created by imagination, which I was going to ask you here in a minute, like what's imagination. But like, if you'll notice, thoughts are just rolling through you and, and you and me and the entire world all have the same thoughts. They're all recycled. You've never had an original thought. It's impossible. Any thought you've ever had has been thoughted by millions and millions of people and human beings on this planet. But yet when a thought comes in, we think it's original to us. The most important thing ever, we've ever considered in our lives too. Yeah, yeah. And it's like, it's, it's, it's the end all, right? This pandemic, it's the end all. This pandemic for me has been, I can say almost a breeze because I'm not putting the meaning on it that the world's putting on it. Mm -hmm. I'm just seeing it as opportunity, as an experience, as the unknown. What's wrong with the unknown? The unknown, if you're in the right space, is so freaking exciting. Yeah. That's what you get when you go on that bike ride you've never been before. You get to see something you've never seen before. So what's wrong with the unknown? We think we can control our future and our financial whatever, but we can't because we're not doing it. We're being done. And it's funny because I think for me, I, it's easier for me to sort of get to that place when I'm, I guess, outside the home or I'm like, I'm leaving on a plane or I'm, but the hard thing is usually where I sleep the worst is like in my own bed when I'm comfortable and everything. And then I'm, I'm kind of like, when, like when I, when I go to a hotel room, the first night I'm there, I'm like out like a light, you know, like it's, it's unknown. Everything smells different. You're taking in, I guess you could say you're processing everything. So therefore it's easier to relax sort of thing. Um, when I'm at home, it's kind of like, I've got all those modern comforts and I'm really thinking about how to pro how to like, you know, there's other things I can allow my mind to think about, you know, yeah. I don't know. It's, it's a trip. I love learning about this stuff. You know, I, I, I even like for a long time was wearing a whoop band to study my sleep patterns to really, when I was training to kind of like understand how much sleep I was getting a night and what my movements were like, and I tried to get better at it, you know. Um, but my goal would be to would be to really master it, so I don't have to rely upon like a supplement or something like that. Um, I think a, I think one part of it is that I do have like really sensitive hearing and vision. Um, so if I hear any little noise, I have like you know I, I've had some audible damage when I was like young, and and so any little noise like, like things wake me up, and that's really challenging too. Yeah, you're a light sleeper. Yeah, and I was thinking too, as you mentioned, you sleep better on vacation than you do at home. I don't know if you're a fan of Joe Dispenza. No, you know who Joe Dispenza is. I would love. So he's into quantum physics, and he's a physiologist or doctor, whatever. But this will really make a lot of sense for you, and this is why I love traveling too. When you change your environment, mm -hmm. your thoughts change. Right. Yeah. So just from shifting from inside your house to outside your house, that in itself shifts your thoughts but what you're thinking and believing when you lie in bed you're going to continue to think that every single night have similar thoughts until you question what you're thinking then when you question what you're thinking you'll no longer have those thoughts because you've you've solved that problem you've connected with that ego that's just trying to get you back to you right 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 if that makes any sense and that's what these worksheets do is they question the ego 
being like, you know, running monkey mind and scaring you, creating fear. And they question all those false imagined fears and they bring them back home and you realize what you thought, you know, was happening or what you thought might happen, you know, didn't. Yeah. You never came it can't. Right. You know, it's fascinating. Anyways, if you want to sit together one day and I do it over Skype, I do it with people around the world. If you have an hour, 90 minutes one day, Chris, yeah. it, it's literally mind boggling. I would love that. And that would be like it, for sure. It, 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 it's shocking. And, and, and I can. Pandemic time is a good time to, to really dial in your sleep game. <laughs> I tell you what, it is. And it's pushing people or finding out what all their fears are. You know what I mean? It's pushing people oh. to have to sit there and slow down and listen to that monkey mind. But yeah. all that monkey mind is trying to get you, it wants you to question what it's believing. So you can understand what's actually real what, and, taking place. We're trying to make sense of everything. And when, when we're in a situation that doesn't make sense, specifically because we've never experienced it before, that's a really volatile time for people. You know, I've, I, I've, and this is a, you know, maybe not a very popular thought, but a part of me is really concerned for the mental health of, of the world because yes, we're, we're flattening the curve, but at a certain point, the economy is going to suffer so badly and there's probably going to be more deaths due to suicide or anxiety or stress related deaths because of lack of jobs because this that it that that will trump the coronavirus epidemic in many ways i mean that's that's a reality like in many places like the fact that people aren't seeing their friends or not seeing these safe places they, they don't have their job to return to like that's a very real complication and how that might manifest in the next five six months we will really never know so i think that there's a a fine line there between flattening the curve as well as, you know, also kind of thinking about our own mental health and, and mental health is everything, you know? Absolutely. Yeah. I was gonna, you know, I was thinking earlier today is where does, where does world peace start? It starts in the mind with you. So right. if you're mentally sane, then you don't have those future fears about what's going on around the world. Cause all exists is your world. Have you ever considered right. that? Yeah, that's it. There's yeah. just your world. So as long as your world is at peace, there is no problem. Not that the rest of the world is having financial issues. This crisis is crazy. People are losing family members. Yes, all that's happening. I understand it. And it's sad and I get it. But what I try to do is focus on my world, be the best I can be, talk with human beings like you, share my knowledge with the world to create more world peace. Because if this is peaceful in here, I can share and benefit those that are struggling and offer them up. Hey, awesome. sit with me for an hour. I don't care where you're at. You lost your job, you lost your house, you lost your grandma and grandpa and your brother. Sit with me. You can find peace in the middle of this massive amount of chaos that, I love that. we're well, experiencing. That back to the idea of like kind of forget yourself and, and go serve others. But you, you can't do that if you're in a constant state of turmoil, right? right. You really can't. Like you, yeah. your world can be at peace so that you can hopefully deliver some peace or some, um, I guess, hopefulness to others in, in many ways. And, that, and that's a, that's a great mindset to have. And one that I, I really strive for every day. And it's not, a, it, I don't think that that necessarily means you're not being aware of the, of the complexities or the issues the world is going through on the, on the contrary, you're just, you're allowing yourself to not, you know, if you, if you 
read the news every night and then you have bad dreams about the news, there's a problem there. You know, there's, yeah. there's an issue. Like that's allowing that experience, somebody else's shared experience to affect you in a way that is really unhealthy. Yeah, and if you really consider when Trump's on TV and he says fake news, yeah. almost everything you're watching, you interpret a certain way. And the way you interpret it is not actually how it is and what's taking place. So any TV, any movie you go to, it's all fake. It's, yeah, no, everything's fake. I mean, the reality is it's, it's all fake based upon the perspective that it's coming from and who it's talking about. And we have this weird way of attaching things to ourselves to where like, Oh, well, that means this is me and this is how I need to feel about it. And I think that that's, that's kind of a, yeah. I mean, it's interesting. We live in a weird time. <laughs> we do, don't we? Yeah. It's nuts here. Okay. Let's talk about uh, religion for a second. Yeah. Um, so um, you believe in God, obviously. Yeah. It's a big part. Right. Of yeah. And, and what does your God look like? Um, I mean, the reality is that, you know, you can call him whatever you want. For me, I, we refer to him as Heavenly Father. But, um, you know, my, my God is an, an all-knowing and all-loving and omnipotent being that is there to um, deliver peace and joy and ultimately bring his children back to him. You know, how he looks physically is, is really, in many ways, unimportant to me. And that's really not for me to define. Um, the goal is that I, I believe in personal revelation and that, and that you can be inspired by, um, by uh, a, a being that has been in your shoes, who has, has, knows your specific experiences, has borne your burdens, right? That's kind of the, the point of, I think, people think of this whole idea of like, oh man, you need a, a savior to save you, you know? That's great, and that's an awesome theory and thought, and, and maybe some people do. For me, it's, it's not about that. The, 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 the savior, so to say, is somebody who bore the, all the world's burdens so that it knew in, in the Garden of Gethsemane, that was the, the point, so that it knew how to succor his people, so it knew how to relate to his people. All of our sins, all of our tribulations, all of our trials, not just the things we've done wrong, but the things that we've gone through, deaths, famine, this and that, so that we can call upon him and he can relate to us and know how to be there for us. And to me, that is the greatest joy, gift. That's everything. That's what I love about religion. Um, not that I need to go to a meeting house or a church building or sit with a group of people to, to have a religious experience. On the contrary, the reason that we go to those things. And especially I'm speaking for me, but I'm also speaking in, in many ways for my own church, which is that people have this concept that we need to go to our meeting houses. And we're so strict about that. We go to those places to lift up others. The point of meeting together is to bring the cumulative experience that you're having out in the world to somebody else who might not be having that experience and share it with people. Like we, we go to those meeting houses to, to share and to tell stories and to relate spiritual experiences to lift up others. That's the whole point and purpose. We don't put money in a tray. We don't do it, to, you know, to have bread and water. <laughs> uh, we, we do it for that experience. And to me, that's just what I love about it. Yeah, that's cool. It's a good, it's a good explanation. Um, and, and then here's another thought for you. So if say I have my thought on 
who God may be. You have your thought, your wife does, your kids do, everybody that lives on this planet has a thought who God is, unless maybe you don't believe in God. But so we don't you believe that we all have a different God? And and then my question is who's right? Well, I don't think that that's, I don't think that that really matters. You know, I don't think it matters whose God is right so much as that is your God put making you the best version of yourself or inspiring you to put out something good into the world. That is what it, it just, the, this is the world according to Chris, you know, <laughs> throw this out with the with, with the salt. But that is to me what matters most. Like when all is said and done, um, there's not going to be all these doors in heaven. That's like, Oh, well, you're the Jews. You're the Mormons. You're, you go down this door. You go, it, you're, you're going to be judged based upon what you put out in the world and what you did for other people. And did you lift up somebody? Right. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's what it's going to be. That's, that's what it's going to boil down to. So personally, um, is my goal in life to, to make everybody be a part of my religion? No, it's, it's really not. It's to, give an example of what um what it means to have uh, a loving uh god and or a religion that supports supporting others in need and if there's interest and people want to know i'd be happy to share it for me religion is a highly personal thing and i'm i and i'm probably the worst missionary example in the world i also really live by this mantra that i don't cast my pearls before swine ever and there, if there's something that's precious to me, I never would put it in front of somebody or give it to somebody or offer it to somebody who doesn't care or isn't willing to listen. So therefore, for me, it's all about giving an example that shows what I believe and that shows what I care about uh, before anything else. Yeah, I think you've got a great religion besides the religion you attend at church with, with your cycling and your photography and, and being the human being. That's religion also, right? It's Getting a, on your bike, isn't that religion for you? So it's, a, it's a part of it, you know, for me. Yeah. It's not the end-all, be-all. I mean, I, I, I would be cautious to say that I worship those things, you know, because in many ways, you know, coffee can be religion for people. And anything that becomes this, oh, my God, I need to exercise every day or I'm not going to be human, like, that's a scary thing to – or, like, or even, you know, religion can be terribly addicting, you know. Anything that can create an addiction is, to me, something really to be feared. And anything that can replace, in my mind, um, the relationship with, um, with whatever that God means to you, that I, I would be fearful. So I just try to keep it in perspective. Like, there are times where I've prioritized cycling or traveling over maybe, like, lifting up others or serving others. And that's usually when I need to put myself in check a little bit. Cool. So here's a tough question. You ready for this one? Sure. Um, so obviously, because I raised in a similar religion as you, um, do you believe in hell and do you believe Satan exists? Um, I absolutely believe that there is a counterpart to God. There is darkness, just like there is light. You know, there's always going to be two sides to every coin. Hell to me uh, and, and from what I've studied and what I understand and what's been preached to me and, and what I feel confident about is that it's not a physical place, but it is the disassociation from God being that 
if you carry through this life, like the, the, the truth of the matter is that no unclean thing can enter into the kingdom of heaven, right? No, no unclean thing can be in the presence of God. So if you, if you go through this life and you have a terrible addiction to something or you have something that you could never forgive or get off your chest or you, you, you know, something terrible that it is just haunting you. If you take that into heaven and it keeps you separate or keeps you distant from what you want and you desire most, which is to be with those you love or be with God, to me, that is hell. Hell is a mindset that can be anywhere. And the reality is that those people who are harboring ill feelings or guilt or, or issues like that, they're living in hell on earth right now. There's not much difference. And I think that's the big harsh reality. Now, there is outer darkness for maybe those who have done some unforgivable sins, but I, I don't think that's something that we need to worry about unless you're, you know, Hitler of the world or something like that. Um, but to me, yeah, hell is a mindset that we can carry with us. Some of us, again, we're in our own hell right now. This pandemic can be hell for you. Um, I think that the goal is that we try to perfect ourselves um, through this life and through um, the atonement or whatever you call it so that we, we don't have to carry that weight, that burden when we ideally re reach our final destination. Yeah, that's well said, buddy. Um, I want to add to that too. You mentioned right in the beginning that um, hell could possibly be a dis disassociation from God. Yeah. And just in my own experience, I just want to put a little frosting on that. I believe hell is disassociation from self. That's a good one. Yeah, I, I would I would agree with that. Like that's who, when I who you are intrinsically for sure. Yeah, because I notice when I'm off balance, out of base, out of my true nature, then that's what hell feels like here on earth. I believe is 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 not understanding self and also letting that ego to be more in charge of you than you are in charge of you. So, yeah, just I, a thought. I, I mean, that's the reality. Again, like I was saying before, like if you're letting this, this vision of who you are or who you were before or after this pandemic rule you, like that, that's a hell in and of itself. Going through every day fearing something. I mean, it, it's, you know, it's been said really beautifully that passion is the difference between living and existing. You know, I, I don't want to just exist. I want to live. And so many of us are just out there existing. I've existed you know, where I haven't really lived and haven't really given to myself. So I think there's something to be said there. Yeah. Consider this too. So as you're talking about passion and living, do you, have you ever had this thought that we only operate from two places and that's either fear or love? Yeah. If you're in love, you're in heaven. If you're in fear of what's in front of you, you're in hell here on earth. I agree. I mean, a hundred percent. And that, and that, like you said, that hell can exist right here, right now. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But isn't that amazing that that's usually our only two <laughs> things that move us is fear and love, but yet we think it's anxiety and it's depression and whatever. No, it's fear about the future. You're either in love with what's in front of you or love with it now, or you're scared to death. And that's the only two places that the human mind operates from. It's a funny one. You know, we, we've, we've managed to really compartmentalize ourselves in a, in a hilarious way. Crazy, huh? Okay, so if uh, uh, you show up at the pearly gates, what do you want God to say to you when you get there? Um, well done, thou good and faithful servant. <laughs> yeah, cool. Or, um, or you know, maybe you know you you really um, 
you really appreciated my creations. That's, that would be the greatest gift that's ever. Awesome. That's almost cool. makes me, almost makes me emotional thinking about it, but that's, that's all I could ever ask for. And, and maybe you treated, you treated this body well, or you, you know, cause I know that our bodies, who we are, they're, they're just as much of a gift as, you know, the, the towers of Yosemite national park. Yeah. That's well said, buddy. Uh, and uh, I think he'll definitely say that to you watching you travel around the world. I mean, you, you've, you've done a good job of capturing this planet for us to enjoy. No, I appreciate that. It's been really cool. Um, if you could ask God one or two questions, what would they be? Man, it would be like, like, where did, where did your inspiration come from um, to, make, to make this place? And I think I would ask him, um, oh, I don't know. That's such a, I never thought about that, to be honest. I think, oh man, I would probably ask, I told you I was going to hit you today, dude, with some questions you haven't heard before. I'd probably just want to know. I mean, maybe I would already know, but I'd want to know, like, how, how did it all start? I just, my monkey brain. <laughs> or, like, <laughs> you call my monkey brain. Yeah. <laughs> just so you know, you don't have a monkey brain. That's a story that you've created. True, true. Okay? Yeah. Nothing's true here. It's just yeah. the story you put on it. We all have minds that spin, but putting a, when you commit to believing you're a monkey mind, you'll continue to be the monkey mind. Right, right. And understanding that you can slow all that down and know you're not a monkey mind. You're, you're going to be shocked when you hang out with me once. I'm stoked to do it. You're, you're going to find a whole new world that exists here that you, talking about being able to see, you'll see what you've never seen in, in 34 years. I'm, I'm fired up on that. I'm all <laughs> It's cool. Uh, one piece of advice you could install in like a, a loved one, a good friend or your child, if you could just, just install one thing that's, that would stick, what would it be? Um, me and my wife talk about this all the time, but the greatest gift that we feel like we can instill in our children is a lack of fear for the unknown. And that being said, it's like, we don't want to pass on these traits that are our fears, which is ultimately like karma and the, the idea that, you know, you don't want to give your kids a fear of something. So trying to understand that, again, the story we tell ourselves is that we are afraid of this thing or this is whatever, but passing that on to your kids, that's really where it feels like a travesty, like where you're just, oh man, I would hate, I would hate to have them have that too, you know? So to me, I guess that's the, the real gift or the real thing I, I hope I can instill in them is an inquisitiveness an inquisitive nature and, and the ability to like go out and find your own things to be afraid of. <laughs> don't, don't take mine, you know, like it's okay. You don't have to be fearless, but you, you do have to be willing to, to try and experience things. And I, and I just, that's my hope. Um, yeah, I like hope. that. Yeah. Well said. Hey, where's your mind? Um, oh, thinking about getting rid of this poison oak that's been all in my body for the last week. It's causing me <laughs> incessantly. And my meaning is, where is it physically? Like, can you touch it? Like, where's the mind? Where does it exist? Um, I'm not sure. I, I would say that it's probably near my heart somewhere. I don't know. I think I try to lead it with emotion most of the time. So I would say that it's, it's, it's close to wherever that comes from. Yeah. Crazy, 
crazy question, isn't it? Like we know we have a brain up here, but where's the mind? Is the mind in the brain? Or is the brain just roaming around? Is the brain like the, the spirit or this other outer source that influences our lives? What's the mind? Mm -hmm. That's something crazy to think about. Have you ever considered that the body follows the mind? Like the mind's in charge and the body's in second Yeah, place? All, the, all the time. I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a huge part of what motivates you is yeah. finding the mental acceptance first and the body just goes along with it. It's amazing. That's the, that was the point of mental training, right? Is yeah. you have to say yes in your mind way, way before you say yes with your body. Yeah. And notice too, when the mind's calm, the body's calm, but you notice when you get anxious and then the body gets a little un at unease, mm -hmm. your body can only be at unease when the mind's at unease. So if the mind's calm, the body has to be calm. It doesn't have a choice. Think about that. Not crazy. Probably not the best place to think about it on a Zoom call, but yeah, yeah. I mean, a better place maybe like when I have time to sit and really think about it. Yeah, yeah. It's a lot to process for mm -hmm. sure. Uh, what's what is an ego? Um, I think an ego is anything that stands between you and what I would think would be a better version of yourself. That's just my, that's just my simple mindset. I mean, that better version can be obviously is determined by ego also because it's, it's what you think is the best, but I would say that ego is really what stands between you and growth. Right. And sometimes that growth can be negative. Sometimes that growth can be positive, but you hope that it's forward, not because ego wants you to stay right where you are kind of, you know, like it's stagnant stagnation. Yeah. Also keep you wrapped stuck. Yep. Yeah. What about school? You mentioned education, and you and I have a lot of similar thoughts on this. What are your thoughts about education, uh, college in general? Because I, I listened to a podcast or somewhere you're on, and, and you almost verbatim said what I believe about school. What are your thoughts on uh, I just education today? I think that depending on what you want to go into and as a field, education can be incredibly important, meaning a four-year college, or it can be a total waste of time. And for me, what I found was that I couldn't learn what I wanted to learn in a four-year school system. Now, does that mean it's not worth it? Um, not at all. It just means that for me, I wanted to be educated in other ways and I looked for various outside sources to teach me things. So that's really what I think inspired me to um, do internships and start traveling and, and, and really just learn by doing. Uh, there just wasn't an opportunity for me to pursue what I wanted to at a four-year school. Cool. We're getting close to about five or 10 more minutes. You good? Yeah, I got to actually go at one. So I got to call here. Yeah. Well, how long? Five minutes? Yep. There you go. Okay. I'll quick it up. So um, let's go with uh, and maybe answer briefly because I got like three or four questions for you. What would you do tomorrow if it was your last day on earth? Spend it with my family, my, my kids, probably, and my wife. Cool. It would your big probably look a lot like what my quarantine days are. <laughs> Yeah. So what's the problem? Yeah. I mean, that's, that's the truth of the matter. It's like, I would, it is. Yeah. Isn't that cool? Yeah. That's a cool thought. What's your biggest fear? Clowns? No. Um, I would say not living up to my potential is my biggest fear. Yeah. Um, yeah. I don't know. I mean, that's a very, 
egotistical fear in some ways, but it's just like, I, I feel squandering, squandering potential is to me like the, and that's what makes me sometimes have that racing mind, right? It's like, oh man, there's so many things I could do. Why sleep when I could like write a thousand emails, you know? Yeah. Um, favorite photo of all time you probably don't have one but could you explain it my photo or somebody else's yours favorite uh, photo you've taken yeah, there's, there's a photograph i shot in the aleutian islands of this volcano and the surfer um hitting the lip and mainly i mean a lot of people know it because i've, I've shared it a lot it's, it's pretty well known but ultimately it's just the what it took to get there. And it's proof that like so much of what I put time and energy and money into, which was traveling to these off the beaten path places was, was worth it. Right. It's the validation that image is more than just a beautiful photo. It's the validation that that as a career path was the right one. And it, and it led me to some amazing places and to have amazing experiences. And, and I think that that was just such a huge part of my early career. And it's something I've really hung my laurels on in many ways. It just, it just bring, floods back so many memories too. Yeah. A good photograph is one that you should be willing to talk about and have something to say. Love it. You're the man, bro. You feel like a brother, by the way. So cool well, to I connect hope, with I you. I hope I get to hang out and not be like chatting from a car while I'm on a bike sometime and actually go do a ride. Dude, if you're in Utah, I'll do whatever. I mean, I ride. Do you mountain bike? Uh, yeah, a little bit. I have a hardtail. I just, I like, I like climbing. I like riding down something flowy, but there's, yeah. there's some incredible trails around here, bro. I just picked it up this year. I've always rode bike, but mountain biking is incredible. And there's 80 miles of trail, just like five minutes from me. It's insane. So I live in Sandy, just to the cool. bottom of little cottonwood. Yeah, that's rad. I mean, honestly, I, I'm out in Utah all the time. It's one of my favorite places. I love yeah. being out there is yeah. epic and a lot of good people, good food. It's, if, it, if it had the ocean, I would be sold. Yeah, yeah. It's one thing that's missing, but it is a neat place. Yeah. So um, I always leave uh, the listeners with some like homework or something they can do to exercise the mind, to stay sane, to stay okay during these crazy times. Do you have like one quick thought that I'm also going to share a thought and we'll be done? Yeah, um, I, I think that everybody can become a better, better storyteller. Every single one of us has a camera in our pocket at this point. Um, whether you're a photographer or a creative or just somebody who, you know, loves to take pictures, find four or five images and write a story about them. If you, if you really want to know which images are important to you, which art pieces or creativity, take the time to write down your thoughts. Take the time to write down what it meant. Give me the visceral feeling of being there. Oftentimes we lose ourselves in the fact that we just want to share the mountains are calling and I must go. We use a quote from somebody else that means nothing because that's not our words. So social media and, and in many ways, media in general, this is the place where you make your own quotes. So I want to know what it felt like to be there, the visceral experience that the sun hitting your face and the, the wind hitting the back of your neck and the, the crunch of the snow. I think that the, the one mantra I live by is don't describe to people what they can already see. So give me something that I can't. I think that will allow us to become better storytellers. And I think in many ways that storytelling is an age old practice that is one of the greatest ways to connect us with other human beings on the planet. And it's what I strive to do better every day. And I'd say that's almost what we do all day, every day in conversation is we just share stories. Exactly. 
our perception. So I'm not going to share a thought. You've covered it for me. But hey, bro, I want to really thank you for taking the time to hang out with me. I'm just one of the little guys that's out here trying to change the world. And uh, doing an awesome job. And this is what it's all about right here. Podcasts are one of the ways that we finally found long form communication and the value of it. And it's just it's a it's a gift. It's honestly so rad. Yeah. No, but I really do. It means a lot to me that uh, you were willing to spend the time and, and share with me as human beings. And I mean, after every conversation, I usually fall in love with the human being that's on this screen. So uh, I love you, brother, although I don't know you that well, but I feel like uh, there's a connection there. And I, I really appreciate your time today. Yeah. And, I'll, follow uh, I'll follow up on, on spending more time and chatting. And, and yeah, if you would, just have Mike reach out to me. He's got my email, phone number, and, and dude, you'll, it, it literally will blow your mind. It's a game changer. I'm not kidding you. I'm it, so, it, it's everything. Yeah. Just a quick final thought. I just want to here again thank um, Chris. Obviously, people know where to find you. He's all over the map. Just Chris Burkhart, Google him, Instagram, yeah. you name it. Uh, he's easy to find. Uh, incredible human being. Uh, kind. Uh, loving from my experience that I watched him ride a bike for 36 hours and and uh, and thanks again bro I, I appreciate it yeah and if you guys want to get a hold of me at all and uh, you can follow me at uh, Brandon Bickmore your turbo lover or email me at the minds gym podcast or the minds gym at gmail.com and uh, please subscribe and like and uh, wow what a conversation bro thanks so much yeah you peace to you all see you brother what if God was one of us? Just a slob.